Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. We're going to start the question and answer period as uh, stated earlier at 1 p.m. here. Quickly, I just want to make a couple announcements about upcoming SACPA sessions. Um, including one that is uh, happening tonight uh, at the University of Lethbridge. It's at uh, room PE250, which is the largest classroom in the First Choice Savings Center. Uh, It's entitled Women's Reproductive Autonomy and Legal Access to Abortion. How can we ensure broader democratic access? And the speakers are Carol Williams, Brittany Adams, and Shannon Ingram. Uh, Again, that's tonight at 7 p.m. at the University of Lethbridge. And then next week, we have here, again, at Country Kitchen Catering, starting at noon, uh, the topic is, what are the most critical issues facing orphaned African children? And the speaker for that is Louise Bredner. So today we have Rachel Notley, leader of Alberta's NDP. Uh, we have a question microphone set up right here, nice and close to the, can- uh, I was going to say candidate, so used to introducing Shannon and things like that. Um, we have a microphone set up right there for you to ask your questions. I will ask that you please keep your questions brief. This room is packed, and we've got a lot of people, I'm sure, who might have a question to ask. And uh, also, please state your name before asking your question. One thing I have to say, no matter what, if I become premier, not when, when I become premier, I'm implementing a law that is changing the standard height of every microphone. And, and the tall people need to be the ones that come and adjust for five minutes before they start. Rachel's tyranny begins. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, that's just my first platform piece. Yeah. Hi, Rachel. My name is Pat Greenlee. Um, I, and thank you for your talk today. For many years, uh, people in the concerned about the West Castle area have fought to have it declared. Uh, um, uh, I haven't got the right word. A protected area, but we're still fighting because there's clear-cut logging allowed in there. Could you state what your policy would be around? areas like this where um, where these beautiful areas are being uh, kind of desecrated by government policy that allows this to happen right. in these natural areas? Absolutely. Well, on, on the issue of, of um, the castle, I mean, we've been uh, quite um, outspoken on that all along. Our position is that it should be entirely protected. The history around the castle is, is really that it should be protected. People thought it was protected, and then lo and behold, there, there was a, a, um, a loophole which um, undermined the degree to which it was protected. But it is a beautiful place, and from a, a number of different 
uh, perspectives, not just recreational, uh, but you know, more more importantly, science based on the needs of ensuring the biodiversity and the health of the wildlife there. We know that we can't continue to use the castle the way we are right now and maintain the health of very unique wildlife species that rely on that. So uh, our, um, in, well, as environment critic, I spoke in favor of preserving the castle. And um, trying to remember now, there was a piece of legislation that the government brought forward about two or three years ago that actually would have opened up the castle even more than it is now. And we managed to uh, push back on that uh, in concert with uh, members of the Liberal Party. It was one of those late-night deals when they want to get out of the House. Uh, we insisted that they pull a bunch of bills if they were going to get us to agree to do that. And that was one of the bills. And um, so Harry Chase was very active in that. But still, that doesn't fix the problem. All that does is maintain the current problem. So our position is that we need to enhance the protection there and ensure that it's preserved for future generations. Yeah. Uh, I'm Trevor Page. Uh, congratulations on your recent election, Ms. Notley. I was actually hoping to hear more of your party platform and what you were going to do rather than generalities or, or the PC platform which took up most of your talk, and their performance. But um, do you have a plan in terms of changing the royalties on oil and gas? And if so, could you tell us what it is? But I caution you that we've had various party leaders in this room tell us it's all too complicated. So I hope you're not going to introduce it that way. Thank you. No, no, I'm not. On the issue of a, of a platform, uh, just so that you know, I mean, I've, I've been leader now for three weeks. And, and so uh, it's one of those things where, you know, platforms take a little bit more than three weeks to put together. We need to work together with the party to refine our positions and refine what we're going to be putting forth to voters uh, 14 or 15 months from now. So that work is underway. Uh, our platform from the last election continues to be available to people who want to see it. Um, but just so you know, it's, it's going to be a bit before we come out with a very detailed platform. That being said, there were a few prospective things that I talked about um, in my remarks that were sort of uh, sprinkled throughout. One of them did relate to the issue of royalties. So our view is that we do need to increase the royalty take that we receive uh, in Alberta as owners of the resource. And the way I look at this is I go back to 2006, I believe, and Shannon can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that is when the Blue Ribbon Panel first, uh, that was appointed by the Conservatives. So it consisted of experts, but it was experts that the Conservatives themselves were comfortable with. And, uh, and that panel made a number of recommendations that would have brought about um, significant changes to our royalty regime. And so in my view, that's the place to begin. Now, obviously, the circumstances have changed in the industry since then, but that was a comprehensive, thoughtful, and frankly, pretty moderate approach to uh, changing our royalty structure. Since then... Uh, 
that panel recommend, you know, we had the Auditor General who first said that we were just doing a crappy, crappy job. Then the panel was, was appointed. The panel made a bunch of appoint recommendations. Ed Stelmack, understanding that the vast majority of Albertans actually were in favor of getting more of our fair share of our resources. Uh, when he ran to be leader of the PC party, promised that he would take action on that. He then, after he was elected, uh, took the panel and and minim- uh, reduced what it was the panel was recommending and, and, and uh, diluted it somewhat, and then put that forward. And then, ultimately, he uh, diluted it again. So we are now sort of Tory panel minus, and then Tory panel minus minus. And then, ultimately, he never moved forward to implement any of it because of the um, the uh, changes to uh, the, the the world you know the the recession of 0809 and since then uh, the fact of the matter is is that we're actually collecting less than we were before that whole discussion started and that's outrageous and you know this may sound a bit simplistic but I think it's it's also instructive when Premier Lougheed was running to become the Premier of this province in the early 70s, and as many of you know, my political background is such that my father spent his whole career relating to Premier Lougheed, much the way I have to relate to Jim Prentice for at least the next 18 months. Uh, and so it's a little hard sometimes for me to pull out Premier Lougheed as this guy that we should now be emulating. Nonetheless, when he took over this province in the early 70s, he made the point that it was utterly ridiculous that we would be getting less than 33 or 35 cents on the dollar uh, for our oil and gas. And slowly over time, once he was elected, he pushed it right up to 40 for a brief period of time. And when he was making that campaign pitch, he said to Albertans, it's utterly highway robbery that we would get less or we would get whatever it was that the Socreds were getting at the time, which is, I believe, 12 or 13 cents on the dollar. Well, now we get about 9 cents on the dollar. So Lougheed developed that incredible level of support amongst Albertans by saying we are the owners of the resource and we should invest and, and extract for the benefit of future generations, and we have now fallen behind where he was. And in my view, it's because we have a government that is no longer governing in the public interest. We have a government that is so interrelated and connected to the oil and gas industry, they have lost sight of who it is they represent. They think... They treat the citizens of Alberta as though we are here to serve the interests of the energy industry. And while I respect the work of the energy industry and understand that they contribute to our prosperity, at the end of the day, my view is that the energy industry is here to serve the interests of Albertans. And we need a government that understands that. My name is Douglas Mitchell. Uh, I just find it rather ironic that uh, Mr. Prentice is here today and he's hosting a $250 a plate dinner. And we poor people are reluctant to give out $11. (laughs) So that's the first thing. I find it rather ironic. Um, I thank you for your talk. Uh, I noted down all the buzzwords that you produced, and they're all there, and they're all good. But I find, as probably Trevor was alluding to, that Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of basic fiscal substance in these, and, and they all cost money. Mm-hmm. And I would just like to know 
when your fiscal plan would come out and how you're going to cover mm-hmm. the cost. Well, just to be clear, in the last election, our platform was, in fact, the most conservative of all of the platforms. And that was because we introduced a platform that we wanted to be prepared to actually implement were we elected. So we didn't make a whole swack of promises like the conservatives did and other parties did that they had not costed. Our platform was very costed and it was modest and it included a balanced budget. And so know this, that as we get closer to the election, we will uh, present a balanced budget, although um, the exception to that will be uh, the necessary investment in infrastructure. So we need to understand we need we have a desperate need for infrastructure in this province and we're not going to pay for what we need right now in one year. So that's going to be a component of it. But certainly uh, the operations of our budget will be balanced and they always will be balanced. And I'm sure, I mean, you are a very well-informed group in this room, but you probably know that uh, Kevin Page, the former parliamentary budget officer, uh, conducted a study of, of governments, both federal and provincial, over the course of the last 25 years. And they have indicated uh, that the the party most likely to run a balanced budget based on that history is not the PCs and not the Liberals, but in fact the NDP. That's what we've done and that's what we will do. That being said, we're firmly committed to the notion that we need to increase our revenues. So that's a fundamental component of our platform. We are going to talk about the fact that we need to increase revenues and we're going to do that uh, through three mechanisms. First, we're going to get rid of the flat tax and we're going to introduce a progressive tax. Secondly, we're going to commit to a review of our royalty system so that we get more money through that. And thirdly, we are... (coughs) We're going to engage in an aggressive effort to increase the rate at which we upgrade our oil and gas here in the province. Because if we upgrade our bitumen here, that is going to add money to provincial coffers. So though, because it's our resource, why are we shipping our resource to parts of the world where people upgrade it at, at a fraction of the wages that we would here without us getting the benefit of that resource? So that needs to be a fundamental component of how we go forward. So those are the basic principles. If you want actual dollars and cents in math, no, I don't have that. I, I don't have that yet, but uh, I have principles on, on which we're going to move forward, and, and those are them. Um, there was one more piece I was going to say, and I can't remember what it is now. So what's that? Oh, simply this. I'm not in favor of a sales tax, just so you know. And I'm not in favor of re-implementing Alberta health premiums just so you know. Sometimes people, incredibly good-hearted people who think we need to all chip in to help fix our hospitals, right? Invariably, those are the people, you know, they say, let's let's do that. But as far as I'm concerned, we can't look at either of those options, those kinds of options, until we fixed our tax system. And our tax system is so fundamentally broken in this province and so unfair that I'm not interested in imposing a regressive tax, which is what the health premiums were, or um, another form of a regressive to flat tax, uh, which is what um, the, uh, the um, sales tax would be. So that's a little bit more of a specific uh, answer to your question on the revenue side of things. 
Thanks, Rachel, for that clarity. Mary Shillington. Um, I really appreciated your comments about the uh, feeding the children. Uh, there were, I think, about 85 or so of us up in Red Deer uh, around that whole feed the children issues and the, the groups that are, are finding uh, corporate sponsors and all kinds of things, nothing from the provincial government, of course, uh, but all kinds of people who are trying to feed those kids. Uh, and and the, the feeling in the group there was that children from K to 12 should have the option of having food. Uh, when they don't always have it at home. Um, and so that fits in uh, with what you were talking about fiscally. And so some people here would say, okay, uh, how are you going to fund that? And so what, uh, what's your comments about that? Because I really appreciate that this is an important issue and we need to look after those children. Yeah. So they're our future. So how, how, are, how will we fund it? said in my comments uh so we costed out the program and we costed out the program on the basis of um needing to feed 150,000 kids a year uh the program that we presented assumed that it would be negotiated on a school board by school board basis working with the members in the community to for them to determine where and how it can be best used um, because there's different models, as you know, you know, there's universality, there's, uh, you know, pay a little bit, uh, there's some pay, some don't, there's as needed, there's a bunch of different models of how you deliver it. Um, and so ours is not based on feeding every child, it's based on feeding 150,000, which is roughly the 20%. Uh, and that we, and we get that number from the United Way. And and so and and other research which suggests that's really what we're looking at it on any given day, and then it was premised on the notion of it costing two dollars per child, and that is a slightly higher estimate than what's been used in other parts of the country. Um, but we thought, you know what, let's just be safe in terms of what this would cost. So it's sixty million dollars. Now that's not a small amount of money, but just to be clear, when you put it in the context of the two billion dollar overrun in giving away drilling incentives that occurred over two years, you realize there are choices to be made in this province, choices to be made in this world. When you look at the $1.2 billion per year extra that we, or not per year, that would be the $1.2 billion that we would have now as of uh, November uh, 13th, um, that's money that could come if we if we tweaked our tax system to be more progressive, yet maintain the overall lowest tax uh, regime in the country. We're still looking at over a billion dollars. So there are ways that we can look at at finding this money. And uh, you know, have I have I costed out all the different things? No, but I do know I'm I'm conscious of how many zeros there are and how much what we're proposing costs. And just to be clear, that sixty million dollars is is um, a fraction of of what. Um, we're proposing, but it is something as well. And I'm not into the results-based budgeting and, and somehow using this notion of saying, oh, this is a good social program, so it's going to save us this much money, so it's made that much, because I think that loses, um, loses the focus of the program. But the fact of the matter is, is the better we do at education, the research shows very clearly that it pays back the public. 
10, 15 years down the road in a number of different ways. And that's what I think we can assume would be the case if we didn't have hungry children in our schools in this province. I don't know where to start, love. Everybody knows my name, Frank, Frank J. Toth. I'm the critic of the royal, royalty giveaway. I, have, I want to first say that we should all give you a tremendous hand for being the first politician to be honest and know what our royalty scheme and who invented it and who, who screwed it up, okay? I think, I think, would you all join me in giving her a hand? <laughs> Bless you all. You're the first one that explained exactly where we're royally. We've asked every politician, the, the, even the treasurer, and nobody knows. You finally told us. So we want to commend you so very much. I did send you, through one of our local people, a nine-point manifesto. Did you receive it? Thank yeah. you. So but it's very good. Very, very, yeah. But I, you're the first first speaker that I haven't been critical of. You're just beautiful. <laughs> number, in Spanish, they say numero uno. You're number one. Bless you for coming. Thank you very, very much. I very much appreciate that. Hi, by the way. This is one of the lovely people that is seeking the nomination in Lethbridge East, and I didn't quite realize that you were here when I said that, Maria. Uh, thank right? You. So, thank you yes, very yes, much. Yes, Rachel. yes, yes. Uh, Maria Fitzpatrick, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, when I was 18, uh, I began paying taxes, and I had a discussion with my dad about uh, why we pay taxes, and. So I said, yep, yeah, that's that's good reason. You're paying to provide services and uh, to help those who actually can't help themselves, uh, to move, to make our um, life uh, here in this province or any other province in Canada reasonable for everybody. And uh, I've never complained about paying taxes until we come to royalties. And I don't mind paying my share. And I do, uh, but I'm in agreement with Frank. Uh, it's got to be fairer. And in terms of the flat tax rate, uh, I've been doing a little research. If I retired today, uh, what it would cost me in taxes, I would pay $50 less a month if I lived in British Columbia. I would pay. I would uh, get $80 less a month if I lived in Ontario. So uh, I'm with you uh, in terms of uh, changing to a, a progressive uh, tax rate versus a flat rate. Uh, but I want to ask you a question on um, the murdered and Aboriginal, uh, murdered and missing Aboriginal women, and I'd like to know what your uh, policy or your stand is on uh, that issue. Absolutely. We um, uh, publicly called on Mr. Prentice to um, endorse uh, and promote a call for a public inquiry um, uh, or a commission into examining the, the 
tragedy of the many missing and murdered Aboriginal women. Um, he's responded by saying no, but it is our intention to raise it in the legislature again. So um, we we are continuing to pu- to push for that call because um, this is um, a series of tragedies that are not unrelated. Um, they are clearly uh, um, systemic and connected to one another and connected to a number of major issues that impact people across this country. And um, it's, it's not enough to simply look the other way or casually read individual reports that you see in the newspaper and then move on because we have a, a major systemic problem in our country and if we don't face it head on, we can't really, frankly, hold our heads up high. Thank you. I'm Avatanus, and I live in the greater Lafbridge region, being neither east nor west. So uh, I'd like to thank you for your presentation, and I was here in 2011. I didn't want to miss you this morning. However, seeing all this oil bubbling out of the ground all over the world, surpluses being raised, the Middle East being on fire, and it doesn't seem to affect the price, uh, it makes me wonder if we still need pipelines. What's your opinion? Well, uh, or I mean, you know, the push for the pipeline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You might put a little line here and there. But. Right. Well, you know, that, that raises a very, very good question because a lot of people have, have made the point that this, this uh, push for pipeline capacity has been exaggerated rather dramatically and that at this point um, th- there's no need to um, – th- uh, that we don't have a shortage of pipeline capacity in, right now. And and so we need to actually look at whether the level of production that we will be engaging in out of the oil sands primarily is actually going to wrap up ramp up to the degree to which uh, projections were made a couple of years ago. Because now there's a lot of reasons, a number of different factors that you've outlined and others, uh, to suggest that uh, production is not going to ramp up anywhere nearly as quickly uh, as was uh, estimated. And therefore, this problem this, with respect to pipeline capacity are not as great as we think. Now, the other thing, of course, uh, to remember, and this relates to the point that I made about upgrading and whether what we're shipping down the pipeline. So our view is that, again, first principles, this is our resource and we want it to benefit us as citizens of the province as much as possible. So if you've got a tree and you cut down the tree and you throw it into the back of a pickup truck, let's say it's a relatively small tree, and you drive it to the border and dump it off at the border, you know, someone might come along and pick it up from you, or maybe even someone will give you, you know, a buck for the tree so they can then cut it up and turn it into firewood. But then that person will turn around and sell the, f- the firewood for three bucks. And then after that, someone may buy one of those pieces of firewood and carve a beautiful piece of work, art, and sell it for a hundred. Who knows? But the point is, why are we selling our resources at the absolute lowest level of production? It makes no sense. Now, flowing from that is the fact that not only are we losing that economic activity by selling those resources at the lowest level of production, but what we're also doing is we are actually creating the pipeline demand because bitumen takes up more space to ship. So if we actually upgraded the bitumen here, the amount of pipeline capacity that we'd be seeking would also 
actually be moderated and controlled. So this, this headlong campaign that our premier is doing on the issue of the Keystone Pipeline on behalf of oil and gas, and this goes back again to my previous point, it's not on behalf of us. It's on behalf of the companies who have funded very generously his, his leadership. That headlong campaign is on their behalf, not necessarily on ours. And we're not opposed to pipelines. Pipelines are the safest way to transport oil and gas. They are. They're far safer than, than rail. But we need to be putting the right things down those pipelines. And our concern is that's not what we're doing yet. And we should not be selling off this our resources for a dime. Um, and we need to have a mature, well-informed, truly open and transparent provincial conversation about this issue rather than someone else talked about me using jingoism. Well, quite frankly, when I hear the Premier talk about the pipeline campaign, that's jingoism. And we need to have a truly honest conversation about how we develop our economy in this province for the best interests of all of us. Okay, we're just before one thirty. so Heather, you've got the final question. Wow. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, well, in fact, I have several questions. Hopefully we can uh, deal with them quickly. Um, my name's Heather Oxman. And um, although I may be sitting at Rachel's table, I didn't know that until I sat down. Um, so my questions uh, have to do with uh, several things. Um, currently, we see regulation by industry in this province. And uh, for me, that, that just doesn't go very well. Um, I'd like to know how you would go about changing that. Um, how do you feel about alternative energy? I mean, this city... Uh, and this end of the province is probably the sunniest place in Canada, and I don't see any initiatives for solar energy. And um, certainly we have wind in the Heather, past. can you just pick one question, please? I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Um, well, we have wind in the past, but we don't have wind energy going anywhere. So those are two questions, and I have others, but we'll okay. say those. On the, on the larger issue of uh, the fox watching the hen house, which is really what you're talking about, right? Industry policing itself in, in Alberta. That's a fundamentally broken model. And, and we can see that throughout our society and our community and our economy. The most obvious uh, example, of course, is, is environmental regulation, where industry polices itself, where we wait for Syncrude to tell us that, oh, yeah, it seems as though a bunch of ducks may have landed on our pond. We'll keep you posted, and then they don't. So... That you know, but but that happens throughout in in environment, and I've been very uh, clear on that that that's a broken model. That uh, enforcement and monitoring needs to be done by uh, by objective uh, organizations that are accountable to the public, not to industry. And so I've said and uh, that that really we need to look at truly doubling the resources of our environmental ministry right now because that right now they don't have the resources at their disposal to do anything other than receive reports of industry and stamp it saying, oh, we got a report and we're pretty sure the report says they are doing what they need to, but we're not actually planning on checking that with any kind of regularity. So that's wrong. And the same exists in the labor market. Uh, the same exists in, in building construction. The same exists uh, in a number of different sectors. Uh, on the issue of renewable energy, I agree with you completely. We are the only province in the country without a renewable energy strategy. 
which is ridiculous. I was elected in 2008. In 2008, the PCs were promising us a renewable energy strategy. We're still waiting. And what we need to do is absolutely ramp that up dramatically. Our party will be uh, releasing a very detailed platform on that issue very soon. It's very complex, sorry. Uh, so it's getting a lot of research and a lot of eyes on it, and it's not ready to go now. But we plan to kickstart that conversation in Alberta in a way that has not happened here yet because the government won't do it. And so we're going to put something out there with that kind of detail. People may like it, they may not like it, but as far as I'm concerned, it's a conversation that hasn't even been begun yet, and somebody needs to take a leadership role on that because we are so far behind, we have so much potential, and we need to get moving on it. And that concludes our uh, presentation today. On behalf of SACFA, I'd like to thank you very much, Rachel, for coming out today. And thank everyone who also joined her. Um, have a great day. <laughs>